I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and this is part one of our season review. Now, we probably could have done this three, four weeks ago, and it would have been valid. We probably could have done it at the point where we realised that Arsenal weren't going to go on and win the title, and, and much of it would have been the same. But I think often when it comes to these things, you can allow emotion, the emotion that you're feeling at any given moment, sort of cloud the lens through which you look back on a campaign. And I thought it was really, really important, actually, as a result of the disappointment that we felt to kind of leave this right until the end of the season, where for me, and I don't know about everybody else, and and I can only speak for me, but I'm sure you guys will tell me in the live chat as well, the optimism going into the new season and looking ahead and, and what might be around the corner for this football club supersedes the disappointment. Um, and with each passing day, it gets easier and easier to cope with that disappointment and to to look at it from a glass half full perspective than a glass half empty point of view. That's how I'm feeling anyway. But I felt it was really, really important that despite knowing from a few weeks ago that we weren't going to win the title, we just let the rest of the season play out. We got to the end of the campaign. We had that lovely day at the Emirates Stadium on um, on Sunday where we got to give thanks to the players, but also uh, we got some back from the club as well. I, I just thought it was important that we waited until this point to do our season review. Now, it has been a long old season. Uh, we had a World Cup slap bang in the middle of it. It's been an emotional roller coaster. All of those things um, have, you know, contributed to this feeling like this season has just been running for ages. And so what I wanted to do was rather than skim over bits and rather than be a little bit slapdash in our analysis, what I wanted to do is instead break this up into two parts. Now, I thought about doing pre-World Cup and post-World Cup, but then I wouldn't be splitting the season evenly because, of course, we broke up for the World Cup after 16 games in the Premier League. So what we've decided we're going to go with is a first half of the season review, which we're doing today as part one. And then we'll be bringing you part two of this review tomorrow at the same time. And um, and we'll try and unpack uh, what happened and, and how it all kind of unraveled, I guess, in the second half of the season as well. You can see plenty of you with us live in the chat box. Good afternoon. Uh, to every single one of you. Hope you're good. Hope you're well. When it comes to transfer rumours and transfer talk, which I can see a few of you have mentioned already uh, in the comments, we're going to park that for this show. Uh, We will bring you a shorter episode um, tomorrow ahead of the second part of our season review in which we'll round up all the latest transfer news, share some opinions and views on those those stories as well. Um, But yeah, for me, Uh, This is just about looking back on the season and I'm very much looking forward to getting into this. Of course, my neighbour's dog will start barking out in the garden while I've got the windows open once I start a live recording. Always the way. But anyway, bear with me and apologies for that. So the Arsenal season review part one right here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Let's kick it off. So. We went into this campaign off the back of a big disappointment last year. There's no question about that. Arsenal had missed out on the top four when it looked as though we were going to make it. And we missed out off the back of some disappointing results, particularly um, a run of three games that we had. I think it was Crystal Palace, Brighton and Southampton, I want to say, in which we didn't pick up the points that we needed. And then we had to go to Spurs in and get a decent result. We couldn't do that. The team was decimated by injuries. It was a really disappointing night. We ended up being convincingly beaten by them. We went to Newcastle with one last chance, I guess, of putting things right, and we blew it that night as well. And so we went into the summer feeling disappointed. And much like at the end of this season, I was saying similar things in that, take the positives from the negatives. Like There is progress. We've gone from eighth to fifth. 
we had moved in the right direction, but clearly we hadn't moved far enough. But I think towards the back end of that season, with the exception of the last few games where we had a few injury problems, you could at the very least see where we were going with things and what it was that Mikel Arteta was wanting to do. You could see it in spurts. You could see glimpses of it. You could kind of understand what the ideology was and and, and where our destination was or understand a little bit more about what that destination looked like. But going into this summer, the summer before the season, that of course has just ended, I think our transfer business really boosted morale. I think we had a really, really good summer window where we brought in players that would elevate the team to another level. We brought in players that, you know, were Premier League proven. We weren't going out and pinning our hopes on unknown quantities. We went out and we did some serious business. We used Mikel Arteta's connection and relationship with Manchester City and some of those players on an individual level. And um, and we, we managed to improve the team dramatically. So going into the summer, um, there was that disappointment, as I say. But I think the fact that we did some really positive business and most of it really early in the window or early-ish in the window in comparison to how we normally go about our business, I think really raised the spirits. And what was interesting, I thought, about last summer was that when we got to the kind of business end of our pre-season, when we went on the American tour, we'd already managed to sort of embed a lot of these signings into the team. We'd managed to get them uh, sort of understanding what it was that we wanted them to do, the roles that they were going to play. Gabriel Jesus um, was involved, uh, you know, and and it just kind of gave us a glimpse into what we were going to see for the season. And I thought that created an optimism and a positivity around the beginning of the campaign. Add to that as well, um, that when you started the season or when we started the season, you did look at the first five fixtures and think that's a winnable run. Now, I'm not saying for a minute that I expected us to go on and win the first five games, which we managed to do. But what I'm saying is just kind of looking at that, you thought, well, if we can have a positive preseason and if we can build a bit of momentum and then we can take that into the Premier League campaign, get a few decent results, all of a sudden the outlook on the season will be very, very different. And I think a lot of that was driven by the fact that the season prior we started so badly and to start on such a negative made it really, really difficult for Arsenal to then get back on their feet and get back to the level that we all knew that they were capable of. It took us a little bit of time for that gear shift to happen. Whereas if we started right, you know, who knew what that could lead to? And I think, as again, I refer back to that season where we were beaten at Brentford and we lost then to Chelsea and Man City in our first three games. It really kind of highlighted how important the start can be and how that can set the tone for a campaign. So just quickly going back uh, to the transfer business. We brought in Gabriel Jesus from Manchester City for around about £50 million. We brought in Alexander Zinchenko for around about £30 million. Fabio Vieira had come into a bit of an unknown quantity to many of us. Um, that was around about a £30 million deal. Matt Turner had come in. Uh, Marquinhos uh, had been brought in from Brazilian football as well. But perhaps more significantly than any of those deals, William Saliba returned. And what an impression he made in pre-season. Just kind of looking at him in pre-season, I think a lot of us went, oh, you know, he looks the real deal. He looks strong. He looks physical. He looks ready. He looks composed. He looks like a, an athlete. He looks like everything you'd hope a centre-half would be. And um, and that was, um, you know, that was brilliant to see as well. And was a, a pleasant surprise because I'll be honest, I didn't know what the future held for William Saliba after the whole debacle with the loan spells and then, you know, coming back and not being registered and some of the noises that he'd been making or his people had been making seemed a little bit um, negative and, and you didn't really know whether him and Mikel Arteta were, were going to see eye to eye and whether that relationship could work. But he impressed so much in preseason and obviously in training that Mikel Arteta was willing to break up the White and Gabriel centre-back partnership, which again, in the season prior, I thought looked really solid and looked really good and had a real nice balance to it because you had Ben White, who's that little bit more composed, bit more of a reader of the game, uh, very comfortable with the ball at his feet. 
um, able to progress it into midfield, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then you had Gabriel, who could be that little bit more physical. Maybe, arguably, in that season was a little bit too rash, and actually over time has calmed down a little bit and has, um, you know, got to the point where you know he's now a very, very good centre half. I'd go as far as saying he's one of the best in the Premier League right now. I think that's that's a, a fair judgment and and fair, you know, thing to say about him, but. You know, it, it was interesting the way we started this season. Obviously, Tommy Asu was struggling with injuries at the start of this campaign. Didn't really know when he was going to be back. It was unclear. And Mikel Arteta felt like the way he could put Saliba in the team was to put Ben White at right back. And obviously, that turned out to be a really, really good move as well because he made that position his own and, and became a real key cog in that side, allowed us to play in a certain way, facilitated the things that Zinchenko wanted to do and, and likes to do and is comfortable doing from the left-hand side because Ben White could tuck in and make it part of, uh, and make himself, I beg your pardon, part of a back three. But also Ben White technically good enough to get up and down the line and support in the attacking third when that was necessary as well. So lots and lots of, um, yeah, lots and lots of um, of interesting calls at the start of the season. But as I say, wasn't really sure what to expect from Saliba. He'd looked good with Marseille, but that was in the French Ligue 1, which we all know is not at the same standard. At times he played in a back three there, which meant that, you know, he had that little extra bit of protection. He was playing a different role here. And I was unsure about the relationship between him and Mikel Arteta. But I think from the beginning of the season, I felt that there was a lot of faith placed in him, that there was that trust, even though maybe in the past Mikel Arteta hadn't shown that with actions. The fact that he ended up dislodging, as I say, that partnership between uh, Ben White and Gabriel with what seemed like very little thought suggested to me that Saliba was was very, very high up in his books. Um, and, you know, pre-season went really well. It was really positive. Arsenal were looking good. Obviously battered Chelsea over in the States as well. Nobody knew at that point that Chelsea were going to be the car crash they turned out to be this season. But again, I go back to that point I made about building the momentum going into the season, getting business done early, being able to integrate those players nice and early and being at a point where we're kind of ready to go when the season come around instead of sort of trying to have to manoeuvre ourselves in the first few games without having acquired our main transfer targets and um, and then having to pivot again when the window closed because we had different players that we wanted to use in those areas. So I thought the way that the, the build-up to the season was managed very, very well, and I thought that played a big part in our fast start, as well as the fixtures, let's be honest about it. So Arsenal started the campaign with five wins from five. A victory away at Crystal Palace on the Friday night under the lights. We all know what can happen on a Friday night opening game. Um under the lights. Crystal Palace, difficult place to go. They'd come into this season off the back of a very positive one last time out under Patrick Vieira. Then we played Leicester at Emirates Stadium, whom we beat 4-2. Uh, we then went away to Bournemouth, completely dominated them with a 3-0 win. There was the home victory over Fulham, who had started the season really well. Uh, there was the victory against Aston Villa. Um, that was on the 31st of August. Uh, at Emirates Stadium, 2-1 that night. Uh, and then we suffered our first defeat of the season on match day six in the Premier League. And that was up at Old Trafford. Now, I made the trip up to Old Trafford. And in recent years, you know, I've been to Old Trafford, gone on that long old drive, got there, watched us get absolutely humiliated, embarrassed, robbed by referees, however you want to put it. And I've come away feeling so dejected and so downbeat. But I have to say, watching the way Arsenal performed that day, we went there. This was the first test of the season in terms of Arsenal playing one of the other big six. It was away from home and it was against a Manchester United side that, you know, had brought Eric Ten Hag in in the summer, had had a difficult start to the campaign, kind of, but had also made some big old money signings. You know, Lissandro Martinez, who we were after, as well last summer, ended up there joining up with his former boss. You had Anthony, who had been, you know, signed by Manchester United for, what, 80-odd million quid, and he'd scored a goal against us as well. So, you know, it wasn't an easy trip 
And, and you know, we we kept looking at those opening five games and went, great, Arsenal picking up the points, picking up results, fantastic. But who have they played so far? So this was the first real encounter where you were going to look at this Arsenal side and, and understand if they'd made progress, you know, and understand if they were the real deal or not. I know it was only six games into the season, but people were earmarking this as a big, big test. Now, although Arsenal lost the game by three goals to one, um, United went 1-0 up, Arsenal equalised, and then United caught Arsenal a couple of times on the break um, to to sort of win the game 3-1. I felt we showed a little bit of naivety at that point, and maybe the first five victories got to our heads a little bit. Maybe there was, I don't know if you can say this, but too much belief in the camp in terms of the fact that we went to Old Trafford, didn't really give a shit about what Manchester United were going to do, and didn't really care about you know, being pragmatic or any of those things. Whereas in the past, maybe subconsciously that creeps in. This was a side really high on confidence that went to Man United to win. We didn't, we lost. But I remember driving back feeling really, really positive um, about uh, about the way we played, at least. We had a goal ruled out that never should have been ruled out at nil-nil, which I think would have changed the way the game unfolded. So that was obviously a massive frustration. Um, but some of the real positives I took away from that game, William Saliba was, you know, incredible for the majority of that game. I thought he was fantastic. Um, but for me, the the player that really stood out in Arsenal colours that day was was Gabriel Jesus. Now we'd seen Jesus score for Arsenal in the games prior to that. We'd seen him add another dynamic to the attack. We'd seen him have a real, real impact in a real short space of time. We'd even seen it in pre-season, so we kind of knew it was coming. But for Gabriel Jesus, who isn't the biggest of forwards, um, to to go up to Old Trafford and to to dominate physically the way he did, I thought was unbelievable. You know, I really, really did. And my colleague at 90 Min... Scott Saunders, who also made the trip up to Old Trafford that day and was covering the game from the press box, was texting me at half time. He's a Man United fan saying, my God, Gabriel Jesus has been one hell of a nuisance, hasn't he? He was backing into people. He was running channels. He was dropping deep when he needed to. And I guess for me, it was at that moment I thought, not only does this guy come in as an upgrade at centre forward in comparison to what we had, you know, it remains to be seen whether he's going to get enough goals over the duration of the campaign or not. But he just adds a totally different dynamic. You want to go long, you can go long with Gabriel Jesus. Maybe not, you know, as frequently as you would with other strikers, strikers of a bigger uh, stature, of a bigger build. But what you get is someone that's going to fight for every ball, isn't afraid with uh, by the physical challenges, isn't afraid to back into people, will snap away at their heels until they make a mistake. And, and I just came away that day thinking he is incredible. And so, again, although we were beaten, that was our first defeat of the season. For me, there was lots and lots of positives to take away from that trip to Old Trafford. And I've been to Old Trafford before and seen Arsenal play quite well and lose the game and not felt that way. You know, maybe it was that plus the fact that we'd played really well in the first five games. We got to a point where, you know, we kind of realised, or I, I knew that we could lose football matches. Everybody knows that you can lose football matches. But to to go there off the back of five wins, to be beaten, but still see enough positives to stay positive and not see that meltdown online that you tend to get when Arsenal drop points, I thought was a big sign of the fact that maybe the mood at Arsenal has just changed. And that was just six games into the campaign. Now, in the season prior, I talked a lot about the need to bounce back. I talked a lot about the fact that we'd pick up good results and everybody would think that everything was rosy. We'd pick up bad results. And the problem that Arsenal had was sometimes we couldn't, you know, we just couldn't bounce back from those disappointments quick enough. And certainly in the, the first part, the first half, the, the, the half that we're covering on this show, the first 19 games of this season showed us that Arsenal had the character to bounce back, but also the quality to bounce back from disappointments really, really quickly. We lost, obviously, at Old Trafford, but we bounced back with successive league wins away at Brentford, which isn't an easy place to go, as we found out 
the season before and we were totally dominant that day and we did it without Martin Odegaard as well. Uh, if you remember, he was unavailable. Fabio Vieira stepped in, scored a cracking goal as well. Uh, but two goals from Arsenal in the first half and then that Fabio Vieira goal made it a real easy victory for Arsenal at the Brentford Community Stadium. And, you know, there aren't many teams that, that find it easy at the Brentford Community Stadium. You know, you go back and look at their record over the course of this season. So many sides have been there and fallen. We then had Spurs in the North London derby at Emirates Stadium. I'm always quite confident going into the home North London derby. But obviously, you know, people had talked a lot about Spurs uh, going into the season that's just finished. People talked about them winning the transfer window. I remember sitting on radio shows at TalkSport and having people put to me the fact that Spurs had won the window and that Spurs had actually widened the gap between themselves and Arsenal from the season prior because of the business they'd done, because Bissouma came in, because Kulusevsky was there, because, uh, uh, you know, Perisic was coming in uh, from Inter on a free transfer. And there was so much talk about this Spurs side and they'd been picking up results in the Premier League up until that point, but the performances weren't there. And those results were, were giving a bit of a forced sort of, reflection, I would say, of, of where Spurs were actually at. Antonio Conte, who'd come in a couple of months into the season prior, got them to the Champions League. And people felt that with the business that Spurs had done, they were ready now to go on to the next level. And so the game between them and us at Emirates Stadium, off the back of Arsenal's bubble, having been burst at Old Trafford the weekend prior, was a really, really big one. And we got off to the perfect start. Thomas Partey, scored the goal that Thomas Partey has been trying to score for God knows how long. Saka on the right-hand side, plays it into Ben White, who's come up from the back uh, to support, kind of situates himself on the corner of the box and then just rolls it to the left uh, to Thomas Partey, who's making that run and, and wants to just bend it from outside to in, into that near post area. And he executed it to perfection. So that was a wonderful start. And the place lifted off. The atmosphere was incredible as it was, as it always is in a North London derby. But that took it to a whole new level. Arsenal got a second uh, through uh, Gabriel Jesus. Um, that was after Harry Kane equalised from the spot. No real sort of arguments about the penalty given there. I think it was probably Shaka's mistake, really, that led to Gabriel having to make, um, you know, uh, having to make the challenge. But, Jesus scored the second for Arsenal to put us back in front. And for me, for me, again, I'd, I'd looked at Jesus from the preseason and I'd always admired him during his time at Manchester City. So I knew that we were getting a real, real player. But I, I just started to see in those couple of weeks a different side to his game, a side to his game that I didn't think was as advanced as it was. And that was someone who was super tenacious super uh, hardworking and, and desperate to get on the end of anything he possibly could. And if you watch that second goal back again, there's a shot, I think, from Saka. It's saved by Lloris. Romero is the favourite to get to this ball and clear it. Romero should clear that ball. Gabriel Jesus has absolutely no right to get there. And I know people will look at Romero and will point the finger at him and will blame him for that goal. I know a lot of Spurs fans at the time did. But you have to give Jesus immense credit for being A, switched on enough and then being physically sharp enough to get on the wrong side of Romero, to put Romero in a position whereby if he swings a boot, he concedes a penalty kick and to put it over the line and, and get Arsenal back in front. Brilliant from Jesus. And then we got to see Granit Xhaka thriving in that new role, scoring his second goal of the Premier League campaign at that point to make it uh, 3-1. And we'll, we'll talk um, a little bit later on about Granit Xhaka's new role, because I think that really kind of became apparent to us over the first part of the season. We started to understand what the requirements of that role were. So, look, we'd, we'd been to Old Trafford. We'd been beaten, but we bounced back with the win at Brentford. And then we bounced and we continued that bounce back with a victory over Spurs in the North London derby before taking on Liverpool at home. Now, Liverpool had had a difficult start to the campaign and everybody knew that. But people also recognised that this was a side that had been competing right at the very top with Manchester City for a number of years. That was going through a little bit of a transition given 
they'd lost Sadio Mane and given that they'd gone and bought Darwin Nunez in, for example, and were looking to go down a slightly different route. But this was still a real stern test. We, we'd played against Man United, who weren't very good last season and were going into a new dawn under Eric Ten Hag. Uh, we knew it was going to take a bit of time for them to click into gear. We played well, but lost. We played a Spurs side that, you know, Spurs at Emirates, they, they don't tend to win. So, you know, I made us favourites to win that one anyway. But Liverpool was the first game I looked at and went, hmm, this is going to be an interesting test. And you're going to hear me say that a lot over the course of these season reviews. Test, test, test. Because Arsenal faced lots of tests. There were lots of narratives hanging over us from games in previous seasons that we needed to go out there and correct and address and put right. And the Liverpool game was another great example of that. This was a game in which you started to understand a little bit more about the character of this Arsenal side. We started the game like a house on fire. Gabriel Martinelli with an early goal, fantastic goal he was played in, and he finished beautifully into the far corner. Uh, Saka scored... Um, the second, but that was after Liverpool had pegged us back. I think it was Darwin Nunez actually with the equaliser. Saka put us in front, but then we were pegged back again by Liverpool, only to then go on and win it thanks to a Bukayo Saka penalty. And again, it, this was another opportunity to, to witness the coming of age of Bukayo Saka. He had a good season the season before, but he didn't score as many goals as he did this season. And um, and I think you started to see that maturity coming through as he stepped up and scored what was a vital penalty. But at that point, you're going, hold on a minute. You know, we've not just beaten Spurs. We've beaten Liverpool now as well. We've won at Brentford. We won our first five. The only blip we've seen so far, the only dip in form, the only result that wasn't perfect, basically, was that result up at Old Trafford. So, you know, there was lots and lots of positives to take away from that point. So all of a sudden, you're in October, you're 10 games in, you're, you're just over a quarter of the way through the season and you think, hmm, things are looking good. Now, in between those Tottenham and Liverpool games, we had uh, games against Bodo Glimt in the Europa League. We won the home leg by three goals to nil and uh, and we won 1-0 away from home as well. And then came a test, the trip to Elland Road. Always a difficult place to go on match day 11. It was a game that um, there was a lot of problems around. Remember the power cut at Ellen Road, which meant that the VAR wasn't working. And um, I think the journalists up in that stand, as well as everybody else, had lost connection, lost power. And that game was delayed starting. And you wondered how that was going to affect us. I thought we were really, really good in the first half of that game. But the second half was, up until that point, probably our worst performance of the season. Leeds were banging on the door, knocking it down, in fact, and, and were desperately unlucky, I thought, not to at least get an equaliser that day. That was the first half of football in which I'd watched Arsenal that season or in this season and gone, that was really below the level required, lads, really was. And interestingly, actually, this has just come to my head now. It wasn't in my notes, actually, but we'd seen Mikel Arteta show a bit of adaptability as a manager at this point as well, around this point of the season. If you think back to the Liverpool game, one of the things he did to cope with the threat posed by Mo Salah, if you remember, was put Takahiro Tomiyasu at left back. Uh, he had come back into the picture at that point. Um, Zinchenko was unavailable, I believe. Um, but rather than go with Kieran Tierney, he opted to go with Tomiyasu because he is right-footed, a very good one-on-one -on -one defender and felt like that would help against the player that likes to cut in from the right-hand side onto his stronger left foot. It worked brilliantly at home to Liverpool. Didn't work so well, I didn't think, at Leeds. I thought he had a torrid time uh, that afternoon. But as I say, we got away with it. Match day 13 brought a bit of disappointment, you have to say. There was the draw at Southampton, which for me was really, really frustrating. Again, you know, a really, really strong first half. But we weren't able to sustain it in the second half. We conceded a really cheap equaliser, in my opinion. But again, the positive to take away from that was that Granite Xhaka, again, adapt, showing that he'd adapted really quickly to this new role. Again, getting on the score sheet um, and again, showing that he, he had all the capabilities of playing it as we went on to see over the course of the season. But 
you know, it was our first draw of the season on match day 13. We'd won every other game prior, uh, sorry, with the exception of Manchester United. So we were in pretty good shape going into match day 14 when Nottingham Forest came to Emirates Stadium. Newly promoted side, lots of players coming in, uh, lots of players going out. People were wondering whether Steve Cooper would be able to cope with that and keep them in the division. Congratulations to him because he did in the end, but they were no match for us on that day as Arsenal uh, battered them by five goals to nil. Again, it was a bounce back after a disappointing result. You could argue on this occasion the fixture was was kind to us. Uh, but for me, this was a game in which Reese Nelson really stood out. If you remember, Bukayo Saka had to be substituted after about 28, 29 minutes. Having picked up an injury, Reese Nelson came on and he scored twice. Um, had a real impact. And at that point, you started to think, you know what, this is someone we could use this season. And up until that point, I have to say, I'd, I'd written him off. I'd said... You know, this is going to be his last season at Arsenal. What's the point in giving him minutes? And even if you need to give him the minutes because you're short elsewhere, I I don't really see how he can do enough to sort of force his way into contention, given what we've seen of him over the recent seasons. And, you know, we knew in the summer that we were looking at a right winger. We knew that we weren't able to get any deal done. We tried for a couple. We We'd spent a lot of time, it felt, chasing uh, Rafinha from Leeds, who ended up joining Barcelona instead uh, because Arsenal weren't willing to pay uh, what Leeds were looking for, which was fair enough. That was the the line at the beginning. And then it emerged that Rafinha actually wanted the Barcelona move and there wasn't really much we could have done about it. So we kind of started the season on a bit of a downer when it came to the right wing position in terms of did we have anybody that could cover Bukayo Saka? Now, we knew that he was going to be important this season. I don't think anybody thought he'd go up to the level that he has, which felt like at the time increased our desire to see a backup winger or another winger come in. We'd loaned out Nicolas Pepe. But Reese Nelson, I think, made a real impression that day and um, and showed people that he was worthy of a place in the group and in the squad. And, and I think he went on to have a, a pretty decent impact in the limited minutes that he got over the course of the rest of the season. Match day 15, we went away to Chelsea um, and this was another big statement victory for Arsenal. I know Chelsea was struggling at the time. I know that, um, you know, they they went on to have a dreadful season. Graham Potter, for me, I always one thing I'll always remember about this game, because this was the first season for me where I really got to cover Arsenal properly from a media perspective. Obviously, I was going to the games before. But to kind of have the access that you get as a member of the media allows you to see the game through a different lens, I think, um, not just in terms of how it unfolds on the pitch, but you get an idea of of people's demeanour off the pitch. You get to talk to managers, to players, to to staff, etc. And, and you kind of do see a whole new world. And I remember sitting in uh, Graham Potter's press conference after this match because he'd come in before Mikel Arteta. And um, and I remember him just looking clueless, literally looking clueless, like as if to say, I have no idea how I was supposed to compete with an Arsenal side that came here and played like that. I had no idea how to counteract the things they were doing. They were dominant in every area of the pitch. Now, he didn't say this stuff, but you could see it on his face. And I remember sort of, watching that game at the time and feeling nervous because the margin by which we won was was quite small. Um, you know, we won the game by a single goal and it was a goal that, um, if I'm not mistaken, was sort of off the back of a set piece, wasn't it? A ball bundled into the back of the net by Gabriel on 63 minutes. So we had a good half an hour to hold out after that. Away at Chelsea, you expect to be under pressure. You expect to be holding on by the skin of your teeth. And it, it wasn't the case. We were so in control from the beginning of that game right until the end of it. And I remember watching it back and, and then recording my podcast, I think the next morning and saying to you guys that, you know, at the time it felt nervy and it felt stressful. But the truth is, it was so damn easy. And um, again, that was a real statement victory for Arsenal. And then the final game before the World Cup saw us go away to Wolverhampton Wanderers. Difficult place to go. I know, again, they hadn't enjoyed a great start to the season, but we know Molyneux can be a tricky place. 
to play your football at in terms of atmosphere. Wolves, I always associate them with being quite organised and quite rigid in what they do. But a 2-0 victory for Arsenal meant that we ended um, sort of the pre-World Cup period on a real, real high. You know, 16 games in, we'd lost one, we'd drawn one, and we'd won every other game. But did I think at that point that we could go on and win the Premier League? I'd be lying if I said I did. And I'm sure we'll talk about in the second part of this season review coming up tomorrow, exactly when my kind of mindset changed. But it wasn't this early. I have to say that. And I I really do mean that. And I maintain what I've been saying all along. It took me maybe a little bit longer than others to, to think that it was possible because I was always worried about what happened if we lost one or two key players. That was always in the back of my mind. And it was probably a bit of a hangover from what happened at the back end of the season prior. There was probably, you know, a little bit of anxiety sort of in my mind off the back of that. But anyway, the World Cup come along and and I remember sort of sitting there going, I I don't think I want this right now. You know, I, I don't want a load of our players to go off on international duty. I don't want our momentum to be disrupted. You know, there's always that possibility that you lose someone key as well during the international tournament. You have no control over that. You don't want to hold your players back from going and representing their countries on the biggest stage. It's what every footballer dreams of. But at the same time, you know, it does have the potential to derail you. And obviously for us, we ended up losing Gabriel Jesus. Now, I wasn't massively afraid of losing Gabriel Jesus's goals. You know, he'd scored a few up until that point, you know, he, but he, he wasn't an Erling Haaland. You, you didn't feel that the goals he was scoring were irreplaceable. You felt like with a bit more contribution from those around him, your Sackers, Martinelli's, Odegaard's, you'd be okay. And, and Eddie Nketiah is more than capable of chipping in with some goals as well. But what I really worried about was what it did to our attack in general. What did that do to the dynamic of Arsenal's attack? How did it affect and impact our build-up? And I think that was a problem that we had. During that World Cup period, if you remember, before the season returned, there was a couple of friendlies that Arsenal played out in the Middle East. And I remember doing a watch-along for, I don't know if I did both of them, but I definitely did one of them. And I remember saying to you guys, I'm looking at... at, um, and Ketia, and I'm looking at the way he's playing, and and what I'm seeing is some clear work being done on the the spaces he needs to occupy, the areas in which he needs to drift into, and um and it felt to me like they were, I don't want to use this term, but kind of like grooming him into being a more like for like when it comes to replacing Gabriel Jesus in terms of the the spaces he picked up. And I thought he actually did a really good job, particularly for the first couple of months in which he was covering for Jesus. I thought he did really, really well. Um, But you couldn't help but be disappointed by the fact that we'd brought this player in. He'd really impacted on our attack, on our build-up. He helped us with our press. It went up to a whole new level when he arrived. And then we, we lost him so cruelly to an innocuous, uh, to a challenge, to an injury picked up from what looked like an innocuous incident. And we were now going to have to be without him. And and I thought that that was going to be when Arsenal started to level out. Go, it, You know, it, it proved that we actually coped quite well in terms of the results, which we'll come on to. But, you know, that felt like the first real blow and, and another test that we were going to have to overcome. Then we returned from the World Cup. And we talked about the need to to get back to winning ways quickly, to get back on the horse, to get that momentum going again. And we ended up uh, beating West Ham at the Emirates Stadium by three goals to one, um, which was a really needed victory. Then we went away to Brighton on New Year's Eve. So the West Ham game, I think, was on Boxing Day, wasn't it? 8 p.m. Then we went away to Brighton on New Year's Eve. Brighton, who had you know, been playing really, really well. I'd brought in Roberto De Zerbi, who had picked up from where Graham Potter left off. He, in fact, was doing better with Brighton. He made them much more potent in attack and, and the rest of the season was to prove that as well. But this was a tough trip, a really tough trip. And we went there and we won. And we won by four goals to two. 
right at the end of that game, you felt like Arsenal lost their grip on it. You felt like Arsenal um, were in danger of, of self-imploding, but they'd done enough up until that point to put themselves into a position whereby they could, um, you know, they could go on and win the game. And then the final game before the, um, uh, or sorry, the, the, the 19th game, so the final game that we're covering in this part of the podcast, in this part of our season review, was the nil-nil draw against Newcastle. That was probably the most frustrated I'd been watching Arsenal um, up until that point in the season. Not necessarily because of Arsenal, but because of the way Newcastle came and, and played us. And it started to prompt questions, I think, in a lot of our minds. You know, OK, uh, we... You know, we, we've done brilliantly up until now, but what do we do when we face a low block like that? Newcastle have worked out that the way to frustrate us is that, and we didn't really have too many solutions to that and, and too many sort of workarounds in terms of trying to break that defence down and getting what we wanted, which was a breakthrough goal. So that was a, a frustrating game for me, but Newcastle had been performing well and in the grand scheme of things to pick up another draw, um, our second draw of the season wasn't the end of the world, you know. At that point, we were 19 games in. We were on 50 points, which by our ratio, by the ratio of which we were picking them up, meant that we were on course for 100 points. We were on course to match Manchester City Centurions. Always felt that that wasn't going to be maintained, but it was as good a first half of the season as you could have possibly asked for. We'd surpassed expectations. You felt like at that point, top four was no longer something that we'd be trying to get over the line when chasing come the end of the campaign, but was in fact the minimum uh, that we should be achieving because of how well we'd done up until that point. We were five clear of Man City at that point, not eight, not 10, like some people want you to believe. We were five clear of Manchester City at the halfway stage. We had a game in hand, so it could have been eight, but you have to win that game in hand. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything. But were we ever far enough clear of Manchester City for me to feel like they had no chance of coming back and um, and turning it around. Not for me. That wasn't enough of a gap. It wasn't enough of a cushion. So, you know, uh, an almost flawless first half to the season. But the other point was that, you know, people were looking at where we were and they were going, you know, they were looking at that sort of run and they were looking at the game against um, against Newcastle and they were going, well... You know, we're in January now and, and Arsenal are sitting five points clear at the top. They've got 50 points on the board. To be top and, and in this position at the halfway stage is, is everything. You know, it's brilliant. It's fantastic. They're going to go on and win the league. And I kept saying to people that stop talking about Arsenal being top in January. Because normally by January, in a normal season where we don't have a World Cup slap bang in the middle of it, you'd have probably played 23 or 24 games. This January, we'd only played 19 when we got to that Newcastle point. So, you know, there was three, four games less on the board than there would be in a normal season as a result of the World Cup. And so it did paint a bit of a false picture for me. It did create a bit of an illusion. You know, January, look at where Arsenal are. Actually, in terms of the fixtures, you know, and how they normally work, we're probably only about at the beginning of December. That that was the reality of the situation. I remember saying that at the time and getting absolutely hammered for it, but it was the truth. So that kind of summarises the first 19 games as I saw them. Um, you know, I never got carried away, but that half of the season gave me hope. And why wouldn't it? It gave me encouragement. It made me believe that Arsenal... Uh, you know, had progressed significantly and that Arsenal were moving in the right direction and it increased my faith in Mikel Arteta as a manager. It increased my faith in some of the individual players. It increased my faith in the club's ability to recruit effectively. Again, you know, another good summer for us and the results reflected that. Um, but there were a few standout points that I just wanted to touch on and a, a few players that I wanted to highlight on this uh, on this episode of the podcast, on part one of our season review, um, which I'm going to kind of round up with in just a minute when we summarise. But if I could ask before I do that, 
Leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. Subscribe to the channel if you're brand spanking new. It really, really does help. Get involved in the chat. Get involved in the comments. And uh, I'll bring you my closing statement in which I highlight uh, some of the key takeaways from the first part of the season in just a moment. Okay, uh, let's um, let's do it. So I think the first thing to highlight is the impact of the new signings. Zinchenko, Jesus uh, in particular, I thought brought real leadership to the side, brought an experience to the side and a mentality that, you know, maybe you don't have or, or, you know, if you haven't been there and done it, if you haven't been there and won stuff. They knew what it was about. They'd won how many titles with Manchester City? They'd been at the pinnacle with Manchester City for a long, long time and knew what was needed in order to elevate the level of the group. And I think those two in particular, when it comes to new signings, really did elevate the level of this team. In the second half of the season, there's a lot of criticism that's gone Zinchenko's way in particular with regards to you know his defensive capabilities. And I agree that he maybe got found out a little bit at times in that sense. But overall, I think the impact he's had on this team has been so huge this year, uh, so significant. So for me, um, the impact of those two was was massive, but also the impact of William Saliba, who felt like a new signing. He wasn't, obviously, but he certainly felt like one because all of a sudden we had this dominating centre-half who could play alongside Gabriel to a higher level than Ben White had done the season previous, which was a pretty high level. We'd found the role that Ben White was able to take up and and was able to um, slot into really, really nicely. And all of a sudden we had three excellent defenders, like top, top quality defenders in White, Saliba and Gabriel, who could morph into a back three when we wanted to push Zinchenko into, um, into midfield. And, uh, and we looked a real impenetrable unit with Thomas Partey sitting in front of them as well. I talk about those guys and I think they played a massive part in allowing us to develop an identity, a playing style, um, you know, which involved that shape shifting quite frequently and involved us being able to squeeze people up the pitch. And, and that in turn made our press more effective, limited the spaces between our lines, but allowed us to, to push forward with a front five at times because we had that stability uh, at the other end of the pitch, which gave us that platform upon which to build that. So we developed an identity. We elevated the level with the acquisitions that we made. We saw Granite Xhaka turn his Arsenal career on its head. You know, he was gone in that summer, do you remember, to Roma, apparently. Mikel Arteta admitted to us in his post-match press conference after the uh, Wolves game on the final day that Xhaka was a question mark for him, whether he could play in that role. And I thought he took to that role fantastically well. Um, you know, Martinelli as well for me was someone that really stood out in the first part of the season. Goals, left, right and centre, causing teams all sorts of nightmares with his directness, his pace. He was just electric. Saka superb, Odegaard superb. Everyone was excellent, everybody. But the special shout outs for me go to Saliba for the impact he had. Zinchenko and Jesus, obviously the new signings. Partey was flawless in the first half of the season. Ramsdale as well deserves a shout out because, you know, I know we had him the season before as well, but sort of his ability to distribute the ball from the back just allowed us to bypass teams that looked to press us and made it easy for us to pick people off. I think that went to a new level. And, um, you know, he managed to cut out the level of mistakes as well in that first half of the season, uh, a few of which we saw in the campaign prior. But I think, you know, identity, you know, we got that. We saw it. It was clear. We'd seen glimpses of it. We tried to work out what the end uh, sort of destination looked like from the season before, but we really understood tactically what this team was about, what we needed to do in order to dominate people. And, and I think as we, you know, get found out and as we, we want to compete at the top for more and more time and, and with more and more of these teams, we're going to have to be more adaptable than we have been this season. That would be my one slight criticism, or we need to have a squad that, allows us to not have to reinvent the wheel or not put square pegs in round holes when people are absent, i.e. putting Kieran Tierney in at left-back, who, yeah, is a good left-back, but isn't going to do what Zinchenko does. 
You know, it, it's those are the questions still around this team. But based on the first half of the season, Saliba, excellent. Martinelli, excellent. Everyone in Arsenal colours was excellent. But the big takeaway from me was look at the fight, look at the passion, look at our ability to bounce back, look at the results, look at the brand of football. And, and Mikel Arteta has talked about this a lot, but the connection, the atmosphere at the Emirates Stadium was incredible. Our away support has always been fantastic. I would never knock them. But at times at the Emirates, it's been a little bit toxic. It's been a little bit lackadaisical. It's not always been as passionate and as heated as it needed to be to help us get over the line in certain games and, and to really intimidate opponents and put them off their game. But this time it was. Why? Because we were seeing an excellent brand of football. As I say, we felt connected. Lots of our own guys in the team, um, young players that had, had sort of made their names at Arsenal. The, the redemption of Granit Xhaka uh, was there for everybody to see. And um, yeah, there was just so much to be positive about at that point. And um, yeah, 50 points from 19 games. As I say, you couldn't have asked for much more than that. Just, uh, just one defeat at that point. A um, couple of draws, but yeah, we were we were flying. We were flying. But despite, as I say, it being January, we were only 19 games in and a lot could still change between then and the end of the season, as it did, which we'll come on to in part two, which will be live at the same time for you guys tomorrow. Um, but part one, brilliant. Nothing to complain about. Lots of praise to heap on people. And, um, and a, a sign of the fact that, you know, if you build right in the summer, and if you prepare for a season well, i.e. get your signings in nice and early where possible. I understand that's not always possible, right? And, and you know, we're talking ideal world. But Arsenal seemed to plan really well last summer, do the recruitment really quickly, much quicker than they have done in years prior, embed those players into the team, build that momentum in pre-season with some positive results. The, the things that they'd been working on tactically on the training ground then began to come off in pre-season which when as a player you see something come off, you increase your belief in it, um, which then allows you to kind of embrace it fully and go on and, and be better and better and better. And um, and that momentum carried into the season. And even when we hit brick walls like the defeat at Old Trafford, uh, you know, we were able to bounce back very, very quickly. And And that was the big feature for me of the second half uh, of the first half i beg your pardon of the season so um yeah excellent stuff right guys uh, i'm gonna leave it there thank you all so much for joining me for part one of um our season review uh, here on the chronicles of aguna podcast remember leave a like if you haven't done so already subscribe to the channel if you're brand spanking new we'll be back with two episodes tomorrow uh, a new show at around about midday where we will update you on all the latest Arsenal transfer reports and all the rest of it. And then part two of our season review will be out at the same time as today, about four o'clock live here on the channel and available in podcast format from 5 p.m. Thank you all so much, as always, uh, for your support, for your love. Uh, let me know in the comments if you enjoyed the show and uh, what you thought of my assessment. I'll see you all soon. Until next time. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.